Hey, this is Todd Burns from Red Bull Music Academy. Welcome to Couch Wisdom, Red Bull Radio's podcast presenting the best of RBMA's lecture archive. Bernie Worrell first came to prominence as a founding member and musical director of Parliament Funkadelic, radically charting the course of emerging keyboard technology during the golden age of synthesis. After departing Parliament Funkadelic, Worrell resurfaced with the revamped Talking Heads lineup for several albums. Worrell's colorings, this time delivered via new digital keyboards, were central to the recasting of group leader David Byrne's musical ideas through African rhythms. In the years since he left Talking Heads, Worrell has been a phenomenally prolific studio musician, contributing to projects by the likes of Bill Laswell, Keith Richards, The Pretenders, and Delight. At the same time, he's among the most sampled musicians ever with Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Ice Cube, and countless others having acknowledged his timeless grooves by building their tunes around his signature riffs. In his 2013 Red Bull Music Academy lecture, P-Funk's synthesizer wizard sits on the couch and behind the Hammond to discuss his biggest records with Parliament, Funkadelic, The Talking Heads, and more. If you want to learn more about the Academy, please stay tuned after this lecture. For now, Enjoy this bit of Couch Wisdom. So please give a very, very warm hand and a very warm welcome to a man without whom neither, I'd say, Derek May, Dr. Dre or Dorian Concept would do what they do today. So please, Mr. Bernie Burrell. You've been born not... One, one, one. Yeah, you have been born not too far away from here, right? Jersey. Yeah. Jersey. Yeah. So what was Jersey like back then? Was it all Sopranos already? Probably so. Maybe more so. Right. When there was the real Godfathers. Yeah. So um, what sort of household did you grow up in? What were your parents doing? Uh, okay. <laughs> My father was a truck driver, uh, ran his own business, and uh, my mother would say uh, he was in the streets. Um, My mother, church-going lady, uh, sang in the choir, she didn't believe in any one set denomination of religion. Her friends used to say, well, why are you going to the Catholic Church? She was Baptist, but she'd go wherever she wanted. She said, there's one God, and no one's going to tell her where, you know, dictate where she wants to go worship. Um, I guess that's where I get my freedom, because nobody... You don't tell me what I'm going to do. I'll do the opposite. Um, I will be free. Um, and that's how I play. I mix all genres of music. Um, I understand in the Baptist church, the music is kind of different than in a Catholic church, right? Yes. yes. But it's all music. Oh. And it could be related. 
So um, I don't know whether we start the whole thing already, but I mean, you speak to like a lot of modern day techno or R&B or whatever producers and they would go like, hey, our chords, it all goes back to church music in the end. Okay, uh, which goes back to Africa, uh, the chants uh, or the plantation. Uh, my thing is everything is related. When did you learn first about those sort of relations? And when did you realize, hang on, there's something similar here going on? I mean, you learned to play I really, really early, right? I deal with realization. I was born with perfect pitch. So anything I hear, I can play. So I, whatever the gift, the gift God gave me, I don't sit and decipher this, or, you know, I just do it. Um, and, and the way I hear, because everyone has a different way of hearing, so the way I hear, I can hear the relationships. Uh, uh, I can hear the same scale or mode in a classical piece. You can find the same mode in a uh, gospel hymn, same mode in an Indian raga, same mode in an Irish ditty, same mode in Scottish ditty, or whatever you want to call it. S same mode in uh, Latin music, African. It's all related. It's how you hear it. And, no. and then on hearing and recognizing, oh, yeah. Oh, that, I heard that in a pop song. Same chord progression. <laughs> You know, every, everything is related. I just happen to be able to hear that. And also perfect pitch is something that happens inside of you as well. I mean, it stays with you even after five decades of touring and probably not hearing that proper anymore, right? <laughs> yes, the only thing nowadays, I say in the last couple, two or three years, uh, where other people test me, they still test me because they... <laughs> Wonder how how do I do that? Um, nowadays, it, I go off by only a half step. Most of the time, it's on, but when it's off, it's um, just by a half step. So I can tell the picture for feedback. For some of the uh, monitor engineers, if you don't have your own monitor man on the road, you go through different crap. Um, and some of the, not nothing against you guys, but some of the youngsters don't know how to tune out or find the frequency if your microphone from the feedback doing sound check. And I can, I'll hum it when it happens. First of all, I have a hearing loss and uh, I can't take certain frequencies nowadays, <clears throat> uh, but I can hum it. I say, it's here, and I don't understand how they, they can't hear that. And the high ones especially, or any of them. So I'll, I'll hum it through the mic, which is feeding back. It's, it's right here that I play the same, I play it on, on the keyboard. So it's this note, or find it, you know, so anyway. So you're like, a modern-day funk Beethoven, then, in a way. 
uh, whatever. I don't do with label, labels. Lab that's another thing, labels. Um, can you take us back to Plainfield, New Jersey a little bit and tell us who these folks, Billy Nelson and Eddie Hazel, were? Ghetto geniuses uh, from the projects uh, who were given the gift and God brought it all together. What was the gift? Music. <laughs> Was guitarist, kind of guitarist, bass player. George Clinton, everyone in here has a gift. Um, See, I'm not much of a word guide. Yeah. Well, we, we got some of your fingers involved in a little bit, but I mean, we just want to... I, I speak by playing. Yeah, well, we just want to let, let y'all know that I'm just... Short, short uh, responses and that's that. That's totally fine. Everyone in here has been on this couch yesterday, so they know your pain. It's all good. It's like I'm not too. They sympathize. Get tongue tied. Yeah. Now, um, we understand that there was a certain barber shop involved as well, right around that time. What was going on there? Well, every anything and everything. That's where I first met George Clinton, and um, where my family first moved to Plainfield from Long Branch. I was born in Long Branch, New Jersey, um, which is down by the shore. We moved to Plainfield, and the word is uh, that uh, people heard that this so-called genius or somebody moved to town. And How old were you back then? How old were you when I you was, moved to I was eight yeah. years old. <clears throat> and you've been playing the piano for how long? At that time, five years. I started uh, when I was three and a half. Uh, my first classical, I'm classically trained. Um, my first concert was at four years old. I wrote a piano concerto at eight years old and performed three concertos uh, with part of the Washington Symphony and Plainfield Symphony Orchestra at 10 years old. And in private lessons and all that. Blah, 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 blah. So what were you all playing, like Schubert and all that kind of stuff? Pardon? What were you playing, like Schubert and Schubert, Mozart and all? Mozart, Beethoven, Bach, Chopin. Um, do you still do some of that Debussy for your own leisure? Debussy and Ravel. Pardon? Do you still do some of that for your own leisure now and then? Do I play it? Yeah. No. no. <laughs> you, you passed that. Not passion, I just don't, uh, I, I play when, I, when I'm playing live. I mix it, I mix musics. I don't stick to one thing, because I guess I still have it in my head. Uh, they used to put classical music on a pedestal, you know, like oh, classical, and I don't like that, because I took it down um, my way. Um, because nothing is above anything. Everything is music. Everything is related. So if you're going to put something, oh, this is this, I don't think so. Um, music is music. It depends on the person or the, the, uh, the artist, whether you be instrumentalist, vocalist, composer. It depends on the person, how they hear it and what you do with your gift. 
<clears throat> and your your talent. Right. In my opinion. Um, at that time, your mom wanted you to be a professional yeah. concert pianist, yeah, right? Right. That's why. Another reason. No. <laughs> But um, from what we hear, from what we hear, something else happened around that time, and I'm not sure whether we get to feed here. Yeah, it's like in chemical lessons at school; it all worked fine when we tried this earlier. But it's uh, like when uh, something that has stuck with me uh, through the years since college days in the harmony class. Our teacher, our professor, you, first of all, you have to learn all the rules. You, you learn your harmony and theory and the basics. Then after you've done all that, you break the rules. Because you have to learn the basics first to see how things work. Then you throw that out and do what, that's your guideline. But after that, break, you break it, or however you want to put it. Hmm. Okay, um, well, apparently the server is down, so um, that's the great thing about modern cloud compu commuting. Computing now. One of my uh, <laughs> lead guitarists and band leaders in one of my groups, he knows how I feel about... Yeah, don't worry. No. This is y'all's generation, but he knows how I feel about mm. stuff. Um, <laughs> he calls it rectology. And that, that yeah, that's... Well, I mean, what we were going to play to create theatrical effect was um, a young Elvis Presley on the Ed Sullivan Show um, performing a song called Teddy Ready. And um, apparently, like... Teddy Ready? Yeah. I heard that it was like the first time that um, Elvis was on the Ed Sullivan Show. Okay. And, I mean, you were on record like 30 years ago saying that, like, oh, all of a sudden I knew what all the kids were into and that was a different energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And apparently, that led you astray from back from the path of the concert pianist. From this uh, Teddy Reddy? No, just like seeing Elvis on television and that. No, stuff. it wasn't Elvis. It was the Beatles hmm. on Ed Sullivan. Right. Um, and to me, they mixed all genres including instrumentation. Yeah. Mr. Martin, who's coupled with them, uh, I mean, that stuff was, it was different. It was open a whole new world. You mean a producer? Yes, George yeah. Martin, yes. Um, let's try what the audio works, because this is a track that you supposedly were involved as well. Hey there, at this point in the lecture, they played some music. Unfortunately, due to copyright reasons, we can't play that here. Yeah, I'm bummed too. Anyway, uh, enough from me. Let's go back to Couch Wisdom. Who are they? Yeah. They are a vocal group from Providence, Rhode Island, a black Portuguese family of brothers who were known as Chubby and Turnpikes when I was in college and up in at the conservatory in Boston. And their home base was Jim Nance, who was a, a 
Boston Patriots fullback at the time. He had a nightclub there. <clears throat> and uh, when I was in college, I was playing in nightclubs at, um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of country songs about playing in nightclubs as well, yeah. You know, and uh, I met them and I became their band leader. And that was part of my uh, rebel part of me. Um, of doing something else besides classical music. And I guess rebelling against my mom and stuff. Uh, it's kind of crazy to imagine that was rebellious as well. Like, because I mean, it just sounds so harmonious and like warming and welcoming. And well, the, the, the playing, that wasn't rebellious, just the fact that I was playing in clubs at night, written, um, not strictly in school and whatnot. But, um, <laughs> don't keep me in. Don't fence me in. <laughs> um, yeah, I can I can see that. I guess a little. So you know the group as Tavares now. So. Did you play on any of the Turnpike, Chubby and the Turnpike stuff that was recorded for Capital? After Capital, Capital. Yeah. no. Because yeah. right. that's the other thing. Um, when you go through things that you are associated with, like a lot of the. Um, actual factual information out there is really scarce. It's like sometimes it's really hard to figure out like, oh, did he play on that or not? And you really have to listen. And then sometimes you're like, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's him. Okay. Even though it's a lot harder in those days. Like who were you when you were breaking away from um, the conservatory? Who were your keyboard heroes? Like what, what were the players that you looked up to for style? And I didn't look up to them. Um, it was influence. No one should look up to anybody. <laughs> What's that mean? Um, um, okay, Ray Charles, Keith Emerson, Thelonious Monk, Herbie Hancock, Victor Borger. Uh, he was a Danish keyboardist who's one of my favorite, and my antics on stage now is like, um, where I get a lot of my stuff from, because he'd be, serious classical piece didn't fall off the bench, or just stuff, and that's my other way of, uh, I guess I am so serious, um, have some fun, put some humor into it. And that's what I like to do. I put, I played nah, 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 in the middle of a classical piece. So just on, do it on purpose, just to, you know, wow, where'd that come from? Make you think, and don't be so uptight. We have a song now, if you want things to be all right, stop being so uptight and move on. Part of the uptightness is in you. If you don't let it go, you're going to be. It's like a P Funk song, Free Your Ass and Your Mind Will Follow. So. <laughs> yeah, breathe. Um, to give you a little bit of a breather, here is another song.
Maxine Brown, yeah. famous R&B vocalist, who I became her musical director after right out of college. Um, <laughs> yeah. I want to hear the plethora of stories that go into that little... <laughs> <laughs> You've been a music. I mean, what does the work of a musical director consist of, so that we understand? Because I mean, if you just have to direct a band leader, yeah. Um, I we would I would audition the different guitarists and drummers that would come and go, uh, arrange the music, teach. The, her songs to the different band leaders, band members, because, you know, the people who come and go, that's another pain, because once you get used to somebody and, you know, the chemistry is there, and all of a sudden the drummer leaves or guitars and, and you can start all over again. And, um, How many gigs would you play during an average month at that time? Uh, that would depend on on how many bookings that her agency was getting. So, but was it more uh, like steady club gigs, or were you touring? Um, we did a Sam and Dave tour, which is another uh, R and B vocal duet. Um, we toured. Did a lot of dates with uh, Chuck Jackson, who is another R&B male, famous uh, vocalist. Um, some gigs with Wilson Wilson Pickett, but it, there wasn't a lot of tours, so to speak, but just club dates. Um, <coughs> never did West Coast. She's mostly Midwest and East Coast. When, when I was with her. Yeah, I guess going to the South wasn't really that popular around that time, right? Not around that time. It was like, I mean, when you, you played in gigs in Boston with um, young, like a young Tammy Terrell as well, right? <laughs> yes. She was known as Tammy Montgomery back then. Yeah, um, yeah I backed up. Uh, I had a... After Tavares, I was the uh, organist in a trio at Basin Street South, which is a club in Boston, uh, where every weekend there'd be a different artists, vocalists that would come in, and some uh, comedians. Like, I got to play behind. So I was, we were the house band, and there was a, like a review. You had your dancers then the comedian, then the uh, vocalist. So I played behind Tommy Hunt, Freddie Scott, Tammy Terrell, who I met through Lola Falama, uh, uh, Pigmeat Markham, Moms Mabley. You might know these people. I don't know if the kids, they were famous uh, black comedians back in the day. 
uh, Dion Warwick. And so I, I mean, for, for, this, another art form is accompanying. So I used to accompany other uh, opera vocalists, the opera students, in their lessons and their recital, uh, their um, promotional recital. Uh, so to accompany somebody, that's a, another, it's another art form besides, uh, you know, your solo stuff. So, so <clears throat> the interplay be between accompanying somebody and knowing when to push, pull back, lay back, listening, because you have to listen to the inflections of their vocal <clears throat> when they're breathing, when to support, when to pull back, when they just to lay there, when to spike it up a little bit. I mean, a lot of these people have gone on and had great careers and with great careers with even great, greater egos. But I guess at that time... Um, It's just crazy for us to hear that a lot of those people were in the same circuit and um, in a probably not as privileged position. And I want to fact check something else. Um, was one of them really like a Miss Tan Boston? Is that what it was called? Oh, yeah. Who was it? Valerie Holiday? I don't know. Yeah, I, yeah, forgot, but I, mean, I forgot about it. <laughs> but I mean, it just seems outrageous to us now that they would, would be like a tan. Like, oh, it's like, I mean, that was like a really different climate for you to work in than I guess walking around now, right? Um, I'm not sure what, what you're... No, I mean, so, what was the tan referring to? I guess they didn't want to say black. Yeah. That's like... <laughs> So huh. it's like uh, in the black neighborhood back then, huh. and the light-skinned black person was called, you know, when there'd be dissension or, or people talking about each other. The light-skinned black person would be called high yellow or mulatto. Um, there was racism within the race. <coughs> so... In Boston, uh, with all the uh, stuff that was going on, um, they say Miss Tan Boston <laughs> uh, instead of just uh, saying she's black. She's light skinned. So. How was Detroit? Oh, Redbone. That's another term. How was Detroit different to Boston? Detroit? Yeah. Crazy. I mean, this was before all, when it was still a city, right? Yeah. I didn't like Detroit that much. Uh, George Clinton and I, we, we moved to Canada, Toronto. Um, we used to hang out with, uh, well, played together with Mitch Ryder and Detroit Wheels, or Ted Nugent. We did a lot of funkadelic. Used to, we used to open for Ted on the festivals. Um, for me, the only thing was uh, Motown, you know, and, and I marveled at 
And when I first saw the Motown studios, they were houses. And all of this great music came from out of those buildings. Uh, yeah, but having establishments. Said- yeah, but having said that, I mean, the main building could easily fit into this room, right? Yeah, right. It's like, I, mean, yeah, I mean, it was, I'm saying, wow, sign, Hitsville, USA, houses. <laughs> and it's, it's phenomenal. Did you do any session work there before you worked with George? No, mm-hmm. but uh, while with P-Funk, I'm playing on a lot of. Uh, see, I don't want to talk about myself. <laughs> I'm playing. Uh, you're doing on, good. You're doing good. Uh, on, I'm playing on a lot of. Uh, well, Holland Dozier Holland, which was Invictus Records after they left Barry Gordy. I'm playing on Chairman of the Boards, uh, Hits, The Honeycombs, Frida Payne's Band of Gold. Uh, Lots of stuff. You probably got it. Well, and on. also Johnny Taylor's Two Million Seller, me and uh, Glenn Goins and Bootsy Collins were playing on Disco Lady. We actually wrote the song, which they didn't give, give us credit for. Disco Lady, he had Two Million Seller. And we got a $500 bonus <clears throat> in session fee. So, see, I don't want, because that shit makes me, excuse me. That's why I got, I got let it go. Can't if it stinks, you need it. to call it out. It, like outside. Yeah. That you did outside. I, <laughs> anyway. Um, well, let's, let's probably move to something merrier. Are the fingers getting itchy? Huh? Are the fingers getting itchy when you hear that? You. No. No? Bit ass done. Right. Um, so what are we? What have you been listening to? I don't listen to... Uh, when I listen to... I listen to reggae. Mali Manman, Jamaica. Um, or college stations or public radio. So um, can you tell us a little bit more of the story behind that song and what you're doing in it and all that? I'm known for layering. <clears throat> so, I mean, if the train spotters are right and one watches the videos of you playing closely, you do play like multiple things at the same time or let's say a bass note is not always just the root note but you do octaves of it and stuff as well, right? Well, this track, Bucci uh, had... The, uh, the track with just guitar <clears throat> and drums, um, and uh, he didn't didn't want the track, so he took brought it to George and said, "Here's a a groove." So all all there was was a drum beat, rhythm guitar, and everything else besides the vocals. I'm, I'm, everything else is me. So I laid the uh, Moog synthesizer, Mini Moog, 
the old one, not the new stuff. Uh, the old one, which is the new. I told Bob Moog this in one of his technicians. The new stuff it still isn't as fat. You got the meat, uh, like the old. So that's why I like the vintage stuff. Um, and it's been proven a lot of a lot of people. Once they hear the old one, they say, hey, "You're right." So I, that's another thing I don't understand about that they make the new models coming up. So why not keep the guts of uh, its predecessor with all the new gadgets and whatnot? It looks pretty and everything, but it doesn't sound the same. So well, whoopie do, what's that about? Um, anyway, um, so I laid the baseline. There's three modes. There's the baseline, and then there's little cartoony ones, which I'm having fun. and just, It's a conversation. That's what I mean. That's how I speak. I talk, you know. And then there's a string ensemble. So there's... That wasn't ARP, right? ARP pro solos. No, no, sorry. ARP string ensemble. And uh, I just... I lay one track at a time, and sometimes I'll say play. Sometimes I listen to the preceding track while I'm overdubbing a new track. Or sometimes I'll say no. Just to, I'm just, before I tell everybody, like the engineers, just wanted to see if not hearing what I did before and playing it would all fit in it every time. Everything is related. So I can hear the track and hear what I'm doing and just playing, or not hear it, and it'll still fit. It'll be related. So there's, and I do that with all the stuff I've done over the years. How did you deal with, like, you know, fans expecting that song live and then trying to duplicate that on the road? I mean, you must have had at least four different roadies who carry all that stuff. Yeah, I didn't do it. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, the Mothership tour, we had a, three tour buses for, you know, three semis. And... Wow. I mean, you, you even toured with, like, what, clavinets and... Um, the, the Yamaha CP. Yeah, Yamaha, and... Yamaha uh, Electric Baby Grand, huh. Mini Moog, Hammond Organ, Art Pro Soloist. Um, CS80, pedals, I think, was amongst there as well, right? Pardon? A CS80 was amongst that as well. Yeah, that's, that's yeah, yeah. yeah, the Yamaha. Yeah, but I mean, that alone weighs like, what, 250 yeah. kilos? Well, yeah, I didn't lift it. <laughs> That's your job. Your job, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this little thing as well, right? Yeah. Like, whoa. I was like, everyone That's was... That's what they're paid to do. So. Right. <laughs> People are keeping fit. And I mean, like, how much... How many trailers did you have for all the outfits then? Well, there's about three, like I said, three semis. The mothership. Um, for someone who's not that initiated, can you break down 
what the difference between all these different projects like the Mothership, Harlem and Funkadelic and all these different entities were because um, it's not easy to understand because yeah, it seems yeah, like it's all the same people and they're all talking these well, that code. And George Clinton's ingenious or, or genius. <laughs> yeah. Same group of musicians <clears throat> recording Funkadelic projects and Parliament stuff, and <clears throat> our offshoot groups, Parlette, Rides of Funkenstein, Horny Horns, which was Fred Wesley and Maceo, and solo ob uh, albums, Bootsy, The Rubber Band. Um, it's George's way of getting, uh, tricking the record companies record Parliament on this label, Funkadelic on another label, but the companies didn't know at the time until it was too late, same guys, so he can make two monies instead of... <laughs> and and then, then spreading it out, the other offshoot groups on other labels. And how did the distribution of all that money work within the actual group when it was coming uh, in? You don't want to know about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm owed a lot of money now, so we should talk about that because that would bring resentments back and I'll go nuts. All right, so we, we stay on the yoga path for now, like I guess. Just like the uh, sampling. Yeah. All right. We might get to that in a, in a minute then. Um, what was your role in that? It's like, I mean, did you have designated roles in, or did the roles change in different directors. bands? And uh, kept things in order. Uh, you're mentioning Eddie Hazel and uh, Billy, original Funkadelic. They they were from the street, you know, but, but had this feel. And and I joined the group after being on the road with Maxine Brown. I moved to Detroit after getting a phone call from George. Because uh, back in the day, he had said when he was able to afford me, he'd make a call. And this was years later. I was in Bermuda with Maxine and... Uh, it could be worse. Hmm? It could be worse than being in Bermuda with her. <laughs> right. Um, Were you recording down there? No, we, we opened, she opened for uh, Jimmy Smith. At a, I forget the club, and uh, management said I got a call from a George Clinton wanting to have a meeting at the Apollo. I said, "Okay, see what he wants." He calls back and says George said he's ready. He had moved every <clears throat> everyone from Jersey to Detroit, and. Uh, Maxine's career was on the down end. So moved from uh, Jersey to Detroit and the rest is history. But what was the question? <laughs> um, it was more like where you sat or whether there were any defined roles between the different projects or whether it was just the same. Oh yeah, I was a musical director and kept it the music together, arranging all the different projects, putting 
along with George, putting different combinations of musicians for this song or this song. Or, I know this one would be good on bass for this, and you know, stuff like that, and yeah. making sure their pitch was correct. Because, like I said, they're from this. I had to tighten stuff up, bring some <clears throat> some order <laughs> into the chaos. Um, but chaos is good too. Um, mix it. I was. Did you have different visions for the different projects when they had a different name or? No, I didn't do none of it. Like this, that deals with the words and stuff. George just conceptions. I deal with the music. Let's probably play a little bit of music right here. Yeah, it makes an awful lot of sense when you say that you wrote the strings and stuff as well because they sound more, a lot more, I'd say, like a moog than than a Ravel piece or something, the way they... How did the players react to that when they had to play that? Can you remember? They, they, they uh... Everyone came up and uh, I was nervous. That that was my first uh, attempt uh, at arranging strings and horns. Uh, I've had all the classes in college, but uh, everyone came up afterwards. All the orchestra people shake my hand. And say, Nice, nice, nice. It was different, different for them, you know. With some funk underneath that shit. <laughs> See what I'm saying? Um, um, the mixture, then again, mixing it. And I guess think they were released <laughs> from there. <laughs> Did they find it hard to play? Because I mean, some of the things clearly emulates what you can do yes, with like your pitch bend. If you can play, you can play what's written. Yeah. And um, loosen them up, and everyone everyone learns. Everyone benefits. Hell, uh, you mentioned Marcus Belgrave and Fred Wesley Macio. They said they they. And I didn't know until years later that they said, um, oh, here comes Bernie with his horn charts. Because I, I, I arranged from what's in my head and from, from keyboards. But I know the uh, range of each horn, French horns or, you know, cello, whatever. whatever. I, um, I just play what I hear. I, I write what I hear and <laughs> I guess I didn't know it at the time, but maybe it was unconventional or I don't know. But I had the pleasure of uh, having Maceo Parker, Fred Wesley from, from James Brown, um, and the Brecker brothers, Michael and Randy, and um, Rick, he was trumpeter's trumpeter from the group Chase, all in one session. And the session was in New York, and a few years ago I ran, it, <clears throat> ran into a, see, which one passed? 
Randy, I think, or Michael, or one of the Brecker brothers is still living and ran into him and he said, you know, my favorite session is the session that of your arrangement, which was, hey, let me get handcuffs off you, P-Funk song. Got to take my handcuffs off your mamas or something. And that was his favorite session. I was nervous about that. But Randy and Michael Brecker playing my charts and along with Fred. And that was... Was it kind of hard for them? Because, I mean, a lot of the guys you mentioned are like distinguished jazz cats. And, um, I mean, Fred Wesley talks about this quite a lot, how he brought jazz into the funk and stuff. And you coming from this other world, the more classical world, in a way. Like... Um, That's that's what I mean. Everything is related. He brought it together. Things happen for a reason. So that's showed everyone. See, this is from there. This is from here. We take some from here. Some from there. We and uh, make a stew soup. Well, on that note, I think it's about time we take it to church here. Is there anything that you can recall from that session? The notes. <laughs> When I hear it now. Eddie Hazel is one of my favorite guitarists. Um, he's very sensitive. Um, I mean, we just go in and hit it. We hit it and quit it. I mean, Next. it's... The sensitivity is something that's pretty striking in there because I think any present-day mastering or recording engineer would ruin this piece because um, the dynamics are just way too high. I mean, the amplitude in that must be like, what, 60 dB or something? And the fade-out at the end was almost a minute. And it's like, it's you very... You sensitive, man. You know, you must touch your right, man. You know? All right. Um, they say that, or you're on record saying that um, one of your merriest memories is selling out the LA Forum. Mm. What was that show like? It was the landing of the mothership. It's spectacular. Mm. Um, and, you know, we, we think of being stars or whatever that means. Um, You just funking around for fun. If you can't have fun, we just playing for the people, for ourselves, and no one expected a hit record. Or never knew, never knew Flashlight was going to be a hit. We didn't go in and record to make a hit. Just go in and play, and 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 it, so. Riding in the limos and all that, uh, coming back from sound check, George and I were in. I looked at him and I said, There was just a sea of cars coming from LA out to the forum. Yeah, it was scary. I looked at him and I said, Did you See what you started? He looked at me and said, No, see what you started. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, he gave you the call, so you can blame it on him. Yeah. No, he gave us the call. Right. But I mean, there's also other moments when you, for example, play Madison Square Garden and your gear doesn't show up. Yeah, that was stupid. <laughs> that has to do with management and probably some somebody else, George, didn't pay. <laughs> That's, yeah. So what to do? What did Just you play not on me, it's on them. No, no, but I mean, what did you play that play on that night? When yeah, I don't remember. <laughs> something, something. <laughs> That's years ago, man. What day is it today? <laughs> That's a good question, actually. Remember, you took, my, took huh? my picture with you 10 years ago. I said, no, I don't. I mean, Jesus. Um, then they've done that next. <laughs> right. I don't deal with this. Past is done. A little bit more of that been there, done that. <laughs> what were you just reminiscing about there? Felipe Wynn, the lead vocal, just made his entrance from the spinners. <laughs> Forgot, man. Yeah, I guess that one was hard to clear. Or would you just go and incorporate something like that if it happened in a session? Or would you have to go back to the other band and then go like, hey, we're using that line, we're using that idea, we're quoting it? We just, we, the track was done and uh, Felipe had joined P-Funk for a period of time there and uh, he just came by the studio to put Felipe on. Well, if you know from the spinners, his ad-libbing is, so he just rolled tape. You, get, you get the Felipe, Felipe wind sound, feel, and, man, that one almost brought tears. Anyway. Yeah. Um, what's crazy when you know a song mostly by DJs playing like a certain segment of it or people just sampling it, is that when you go back to the entire piece, is the mood is so different and it's also going to so many different places over the course of, what is it? Um, four minutes and 30? And I mean, it, it goes to, it's almost mournful, it's almost a piece of tragedy in there, and then gets upbeat again. And it's then a it's, journey. Yeah. It's, a, it's a journey. You don't stay in one place. Who would be directing that in a session? It's like, you go like, okay. Directing. Yeah, or would you just, you know, feed off each other just, and then go? Just go on an emotion, which, and the arrangements, I, I would arrange stuff. Um, you go where it takes you. Well, I took you very far. And also, I believe now that a few things hopefully are settled, um, it still provides you with a like, nice pension check fund, right? I mean, with all the people that have sampled that over the years, like there must be I someone... Talk about it. That's one of the things that's being worked on now. And, uh, you know, we haven't gotten all the It's still sampled. worked on? Damn. Uh, yeah. I'll I get guess pissed that's... off. You don't want me to get mad because. <laughs> uh, 
No, we don't want that. No, we don't want that. We don't want that at all. I like getting mad sometimes, but you don't want you don't you don't want to see that. Oh, um, actually, now it seems like we won the internet again. Let's see whether it's actually playing because there's a little video that I would like to show you to get a better idea of what things looked like back then. Let's see whether we can make this work. Yeah, just another day in the city, it seems, sir. So is this what your life was like every day? Is this what my life was like back then? Yeah. Their life, <laughs> I had part of uh, It wasn't wild and crazy like that. Uh, I can't only speak for myself. Um, the antics and whatnot. Oh, sorry, sorry. Um, the antics and what not I uh, yeah you said my life it wasn't that crazy that's that's a bunch of wild and crazy guys um, but we were having fun my part was I was the nerd I was, I was the nerd of the group <clears throat> so I was um, more laid back, uh, but I would partake of uh, the antics, fusing it together with the music. Um, I could tell you wild and crazy, or you could see yourself from a... Uh, <laughs> can't speak about um, George is a conceptualist um, didn't necessarily agree with all of his philosophies but everything melded together and everything worked so and it was a sign it was the times um, that's what it was. It's what it is. It's another thing now. Uh, de de depending on how you look at things and how, you know, <clears throat> what's in the mind of the beholder. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was a. Yeah, that was, that was Funkadelic for real. Funkadelic, psychedelic, meld the two together. <clears throat> um, it is what it is. Um, Cosmic Slop is a, one of the national anthems says what it says, cosmic slop. <laughs> uh, at the same time, I could hear my mother cry, I could hear my mother cry. It's, uh, it's a piece of history. 
fast forwarding, I mean, we're running a little bit out of time and it's um, there's a bunch of things that we could touch upon, but um, you were sort of the more or less unofficial member of another group and we'd like to hit on that a little bit. Burning down the house. Yeah, now both rhythmically and sonically, that's very different energy now. So what has happened in the meantime? From that until now? No, 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 from... In between P-Funk. Yeah. Well, it's, it's sonically it's a little different, but the rhythm is there because they were... From what Talking Heads, I didn't even know who they were at first. Talking Heads... When I was approached, who are, who are you? But, uh, but come to find out <clears throat> later, they used to, David, Tina, and Chris used to sneak into P-Funk shows when they were art students in Providence, Rhode Island. So I said, oh, okay. So they had, they knew what was up, and they were fans, and so they they bring integrate the rhythm on, you know, and the feel and mix it. The rhythm's there, because that's Steve Scales playing percussion. Chris Francis keeps straight beat. You know, the rhythm is around him. The pulse is there, and then the pulse is there. And um, Alex Weir from the Brothers Johnson on rhythm guitar. From Strawberry Letters. Yeah, yeah. Right, yep. crazy. Um, Nona Hendricks was there. From LaBelle, myself, Adrian Ballou. Uh, so you had all these ent entities integrated into the four and enlarged it in there. I was going to say, I didn't see when I was a kid and saw Talking Hats on German television, or I didn't see any of the guys that you just mentioned. I know, that was before, the, that was, I guess, in, like I said, I didn't know who, who, they, who they were. I just knew I, I got a phone call you know, asking me if I'd be interested. I said, well, I don't know, would you, you know, Jerry Harrison, who we're real close and David and Chris and Tina had sit in on a couple of shows with my group. Uh, so it was a uh, fusion, fusing of what they did before along with the funk. So how did it work? Would you be called in for the recordings and more or less doing session well, work? What I liked about it was they Kind of, kind of worked like a P-Funk oh. in the studio. We just go in, there'd be some ideas <clears throat> down sometimes, and then other times just a jam, and then other times I come in, overdub the, the parts of a set track. And live, it's whatever I, like a, you know, whatever I wanted to play. But they were the students, you know. They, they, that's why they made the call. <laughs> you know, so, we just... 
Um, from the sounds of it, you moved on to a different um, synthesizer aesthetic yeah, Jerry as well. Had, yeah. Jerry had a Prophet Vibes. Mm -hmm. nice. And of course, uh, the clavinet was there. Yeah. Speaking of the clavinet, like, who's who was first playing that through phases and stuff? You or Stevie? I don't know. I don't, mm. On the uh, track that you played with... Uh, The strings, my first mm -hmm. string. Yeah. Everybody thinks it's clavinet, but it's an RMI piano. Yeah. Um, and Stevie had gone to a it's called Wonder Love Music 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 store in Detroit, and um, I had gone the next day. But they told us at the store that Stevie was here yesterday and got one, and I was the second one, second person that got one. Um, so I, I don't I don't know I don't keep who did what first and blah, 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 blah. who cares we're doing it and it's up right um, on that note maybe a very different Steve and I were together at Nam show I don't know if you saw that this hmm. uh, a few months ago yeah. there's there were pictures that were Paste it on Facebook, uh, uh, which I don't do. <laughs> uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Bernie Verwell, everybody, let's give him a big hand. Thanks. <laughs> you guys. One, one, one. You guys and girls, um, do well. God bless and enjoy. Enjoy. If it's not fun, it ain't worth it, man. Have fun. <laughs> Hey, this is Todd Burns again. Thanks for listening to Couch Wisdom. Before you go, I just wanted to take a moment to tell you a bit about the Red Bull Music Academy. The whole thing is a world-traveling series of music workshops and events. If you want to find out more, check us out at redbullmusicacademy.com. Also, if you liked what you heard on this podcast and you're not already subscribed, please go for it and consider rating us while you're at it. It really helps other people discover the podcast. Finally, there's a whole other world of great music programming like this to check out at redbullradio.com. Okay, enough URLs for now. Thanks for listening. <laughs>